Tonight here at GZM, we're going to continue with our, our Bible teachings, and we're going to go through the, the book of Ezra. Um, where we left off, we were going through the Chronicles. So we did First and Second Chronicles, which is a recap as they came out of the Exodus, and it was giving the people you know, hope for the future. Now, we're going back in almost like we're going back in time because the Chronicles were considered the last books of the Old Testament. So now we're going to be going into some of the, the minor prophets and major prophets. And the, the book of Ezra is set right smack dab in the middle of some of this stuff. So some of the things that I may be talking about are, are things that are, have already been discussed on some level. So some of this will be familiar to you. Um. <clears throat> The book starts with this decree because Cyrus, who was the king of Babylon, decided to bless the Israelite nation and pay for them to go from Babylon back into Jerusalem. You know, that there was a prophecy by Jeremiah that when Babylon was coming in and kind of destroying everything, you know, and Jeremiah was talking to the king and saying, if you repent of your sins, because of your idol worship and your you know, mixture and your temple prostitutes and all the different things that were going on back then, that if you would repent and, and you know, give yourself to the Babylon king, then you would live. And he was scared and didn't want to do that. And sure enough, Jeremiah's prophecies came true. You know, we all know that the favorite verse, you know, that Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I have a purpose and a plan for you and I will prosper you. But what that chapter also talks about is like, get ready because I'm going to destroy everything, but I'm going to take care of you as I send you into Babylon. You know, and you're going to be there a while, so settle down, create businesses, and create children, and marry, and just get used to the fact that you're not going to be home. Well, Jeremiah had written, and I think Jeremiah 25, that he prophesied that in 70 years, that we're the, the Israelite nation is going to be sent back into Jerusalem. So, you know, this gives us hope because most of us have been in this exile in our lives. You know, most of us, I would care to say all of us, have not grown up in this perfect church Christian family that we, you know, somehow evaded sin and that we didn't have any hiccups in our lives and we didn't have any pain in our lives, that we grew up in exile. That we grew up in pain, we grew up in sin, we grew up in Babylon, which is also a symbol of this world. Egypt is another symbol that is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as a symbol of the world. So the king of Babylon is very similar to Pharaoh in Egypt, and it's a symbol of the enemy. So here is someone that we would not consider being blessed by, but there is so much favor on the Israelite nations that he is so blessed by the Israelites that have been in Babylon and served him and blessed him in various ways. You know, in, in some of the books that we're going to be talking about soon, we're going to see how the Israelites that were there, the Hebrews that were there, were major, you know, parts of the king's court. So, you know, here's this prophecy that, that Nehemiah stumbles across. And they get sent back into Jerusalem, and, and Cyprus pays the bill. Like, I don't know about you, but 
But I don't have the bill to pay for like a million people to travel anywhere. And Cyprus just drops the change and says, have at it. I'm going to pay for you to go home. You know, and this is like a huge thing. You know, and then Zerubbabel is the one that's kind of leading the charge. Even though the book is named Ezra, and I think it's just easier to say. Even though Zerubbabel and Ezra have, you know, about half of the book. That it's just easier to say Ezra, so we call the book Ezra instead of Zerubbabel and Ezra. And that's just my opinion. You can take it for what it is. But Zerubbabel, you know, he's kind of leading the charge, and his name means born in Babylon. You know, and this represents, you know, born in captivity. You know, and a lot of times in the Old Testament, people's names meant more than just a name. You know, it's kind of interesting sometimes that if you take a second, and look up what people's names mean, it literally represents who they are, you know, and, and even parts of their character, even sometimes parts of their destiny, you know, and it's, it's pretty interesting when you do some name studies, you know. But Zerubbabel heads back into Jerusalem and everything's kind of torn down because the Babylon king that was there before basically ripped down the temple and, and burned the, the city to the ground. Well, some of the Israelites, you know, escaped, and, and didn't get brought into captivity and, and were managed to, to slip through the cracks. But Zerubbabel's main you know, key focus that he wanted to do is to rebuild the altar. So that's the first thing they do is they head back into Jerusalem, build the altar, and do sacrifices to God for all that he's done. You know, and this is very similar to our praise and worship. You know, that you know, obviously we're not killing you know, oxens anymore in the, in the name of Yahweh. But a way that we worship God is, you know, in the music that we play. You know, when I was first saved and I started coming to uh, this type of a church that was a non-denominational background because I was so used to, you know, the old traditional churches, the stand-up, sit-down, religious, you know, calisthenics that I would get as a child, you know, stand up and sing a hymn, sit down, give us some money, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. You know, some of us got to kneel a little bit, you know, and get extra little quad workout as we went to church. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, we come here and we have different type of calisthenics that we're stretching, you know, and, um, you know, it was very weird for me. You know, I didn't understand music. You know, I understood hymns in a sense. They made me yawn a lot, and I, I just wanted to sleep through church as a kid, you know, and I come into, you know, this non-denominational setting, and it's very uncomfortable. People are praying out loud, you know, people are raising their hands, people are singing out loud, you know, people are doing weird things in, in my mind, and, you know, and it's unfamiliar territory, you know, but as I've learned, you know, through the years, you know, that if I was running from the cops and they said freeze, my hands are going up. And it's a symbol of surrender. You know, also, you know, if we're watching football specifically or maybe some basketball and we have, you know, our favorite team scores a touchdown or Steph Curry hits that game winning three, our hands go up in the air and we're like, whoa, come on. You know, and we've all had excitement as we're doing something, and, and our hands go up when we're excited. You know, and it, it doesn't just happen with football games. Some of us aren't really sports freaks. Maybe we get into bands more, and we're watching, you know, Kiss, 
or something in the, you know, back in the day, and we're like, yeah! <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, when we get excited, our hands go up. Why are our hands up? Because it's a symbol of worship. It's a symbol of surrender. So as they go back, and they're trying to rebuild their relationship with God and bring honor to God, worship was a part of it, a big part of it. And when their worship got sidetracked, their lives got sidetracked, you know. And I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself that there's been many things in my life that I've worshipped. You know, I was a Buffalo Bills fan back in the day, and they failed me miserably, but I'm still a Bills fan, and I'm hoping (laughs) that we come out of exile one day and God rebuilds the temple. You guys are laughing because you know it's a joke because it's probably never going to happen. But anyway, we can pray that our new quarterback is going to take us to the promised land. You know, you know, some of us are Raiders fans, some of us are Steelers fans, some of us are Cowboys fans. We're not really sure why, but you are. And some of us are San Fran fans, and you've stuck through it through the years. You've lost the Joe Montana years, but you still stick stick and stay. Why? Because there's something true to the teams that we stick to. Some of us front run and hop from team to team, <laughs> like some of the people in the back row. But anyway, <laughs> you know, some of us are Giants fans, and we have years where we, we do good, and we have many years where we don't do so hot. We all understand this stuff, as far as that's concerned. You know, some of us have had bands in our lives that have come and gone. Some of us know what CD or record, you know cassette tape that we have hidden and be like, oh man, I need to hear that jam. YouTube is a, a wonderful thing that we don't have to feel as old as we once did as we pulled out our eight tracks to worship the idols of our understanding. I mean, you know, so worship is built into all of our lives on some level. Some of us have worshiped people even though we, we wouldn't like to admit it. That when that breakup happened, you know, our whole lives spun out of control. You know, and I was one of that. You know, a girl broke up with me many, many years ago, and I was catastrophic. You know, I couldn't function. She was going to save me. And that's the time that Jesus stepped in and actually saved me. So I'm really grateful for that girl to show me that, that my heart needed a lot more than a female or a relationship to sustain me and satisfy me. Because as much as I, I hate to admit it, the bills can't satisfy me. No, you know, basketball or football team can satisfy me. No band out there can satisfy me. Even Christian worship bands can't satisfy me. There's not a person that can satisfy me other than Jesus Christ. You know, and, and as we grow in our relationships, worship is a big part of setting us free. You know, and it's a symbol that we know that God is the answer. I know it's unfamiliar for some of us. You know, it's very important that we, we get some of this Christian worship and we try to to find some stuff that we like. You know, we all have different things that, you know, genres that we care for. Some of the stuff that I listened to today, there's no way ever that you would have convinced me that I would ever be listening to a Jason Upton or a United Pursuit or an Ascend the Hill or fill in the blank. There's lots of them that I would say I would have never listened to because it's not yelling and screaming, you know. And But although I listen to that stuff too, you know, I found some hip-hop stuff that's fairly decent and not too corny. You know, that you know that there is music out there that worships God in the ways that we like to listen to music. However, it's important that we learn 
to have an intimate time with Jesus and put some music on and just say, God, I'm giving you everything right now. I'm focusing on you. You pray, you read your Bible, you've got music playing, you put your head down and you just try to let all the worries of the day kind of slip away. And it's amazing what begins to happen because for me, it scared me in the beginning, but it's become a reality for me is that the presence of God can come in all sorts of different places. The presence of God can come in this place. The presence of God is coming in my truck. The presence of God has come as I'm walking down the road. The presence of God has come in my bedroom. The presence of God has come in my living room. The presence of God is available for each and every one of us. But worship is part of the, the, the key that opens up the door for God to show you how real he really is. So I, I really encourage you to press in in some way. Figure it out. You know, if you have questions about what I'm saying, message me, talk to me. I would be more than happy to show you some of the music that I listen to. You know, and we can have some conversations about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And we can cry together in Jesus' mighty name. <laughs> because as crazy as it is, you know, that's how the Holy Spirit manifests himself in my life today. And since I got saved is that I cry, you know, and I remember as a, a new Christian that I was crying all the time that I'm trying to do this worship stuff and I'm getting frustrated and really angry and I'm like, all right, cut it out. And he did. And I stopped crying. And about a week went past and I'm like, where did God go? And then I repented of my silliness and I said, I'm sorry. I'll never say that again. And the tears came back and I've been crying like a baby for Jesus for over a decade and there is nothing that's better than the sweet presence of God that comes and tears begin to flow in various ways. There's been, you know, gentle tears and then there's been, I'm crying profusely and I don't know why because the presence of God has hit me and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's important that we learn to worship. It's a key to, to bring us into a new life. Some of us, you know, have come to the understanding that this is also a way to wage war. And we have to understand that when we worship, we're breaking off depression. When we worship, we're breaking off anxiety. When we worship, we're breaking off lust. When we worship, we're breaking off anger. That when we worship, we're breaking off our fears of finances. When we worship, we're breaking off fears of relationships. When we worship, we're breaking off fears of what's going on in our children's lives. When we worship, we're putting God first above all of those things. And saying, I don't care what's going on right now, God. I need you. And it's such an important piece of the Christian life. It's an important piece of my life that it's really all I ever listen to anymore. I love hardcore music. I love heavy music. I love hip-hop, I love bluesy, I love indie, I love all sorts of different types of music. But the music that I'm listening to about 99% of the time these days is worship music because I want God's presence in my life. I listen to it as I'm working and there's times that I'm building stuff and all of a sudden God begins to come down. you know, And I just start crying in the middle of a garage, in the middle of wherever I am, that I'm putting something together you know, as a carpenter. And God shows up in the middle of places that we wouldn't think that he would show up because I'm choosing to worship him as I'm doing what I'm doing. And, it, and it's such an important piece that we honor God in this way. Because the next thing that Zerubbabel did was rebuild the temple. You know, and the temple is a symbol of where God's presence comes. So they worshiped 
and then they built the temple, and they were expecting God's presence to come. Now, in the New Testament, the symbol of the temple, because Jesus broke down and tore down the old temple, that we've become the temple, that the Holy Spirit wants to come and dwell in us, that we need to take care of our temple in various ways, because I don't know about you, but I I treated my temple pretty poorly for a long, long time. A long, long time. You know, and it's so important that we pay attention to what we're doing with our temple and, and what we're allowing into our eye gates, our ear gates, our heart, so that we are allowing God's Spirit to move the way He wants to move. But as we're reading in the text, you know, they, the first thing that you have to do to build anything is that you have to build the foundation. You know, and as they built the foundation of the temple, they stopped and had a ceremony. Why? Because our foundation is so important. So often we try to run forward without our firm foundation and we've built things and then they collapse. You know, I've got that great job and it falls apart. I've got this beautiful relationship, this awesome person that I love and it falls apart. I have, I'm going back to school and I get my student loan and I smoke it up. You know, (laughs) I did it twice. Anyway, (laughs) you know, that if we do not have the character, if we do not have the foundation that when we get the job or we get the relationship or we get the things that we desire, good things, that we can't sustain them. You know, and for me, when I got sober, when I first initially started this thing with Jesus, my character was a mess. You know, I didn't know how to do anything that was considered good or considered right. It took me some time to learn how to follow Jesus and allow him to break off the way that I thought and the way that I felt and the way that I did things and the way that I carried myself that, you know, I remember, and there's people that confirm this. When I walked into AA for the first time, I carried myself with such evil and such anger that I wanted to scare people because I was really just this broken little kid inside. There's people that I would sit down and they would get up and move. And I took pride in that. That I took pride in that I could, I could intimidate people. That's not the man that I want to be today. I, I want to be a soft and gentle man to the best of my ability. I'm a big guy. I got some tattoos. I got this amazing little beard growing on my face. So people are already intimidated by me. But when I talk and when I carry myself and my character and they see who I really am, they see somebody that they can trust. And I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But it's taken years as he's broken down the old and begin to rebuild the new inside of me. So our foundation is such a key, key, key time in our our walk, in our recovery, and especially in our walk with Jesus. And so often we try to run ahead. I try to regain everything. I try to get back everything. And normally, you know, things fall apart. At least they did for me. You know, they, they rededicated themselves, you know, And when we get saved, you know, we're dedicating ourselves to Jesus. And I I mean, at least for me, I didn't really grasp that. You know, I was still learning a lot of stuff, you know, and and through the years, you know, I've gotten squirrely and it's like, wait wait a minute, Jesus, I need to pull this back in. And I need you. I need you more than I need that job. I need you more than I need that money. I need you more than I need a wife. I need you before I need a title. I need you. I need Jesus in my life. And I had to rededicate myself over and over and over and over and over and over through the years. 
and I could rededicate myself in the morning and be squirrely in the afternoon, and I'd rededicate myself in the morning and be squirrely in the evening, and I'd rededicate myself over and over and over again. And to me, this is the third step. I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him. And it's not a one-time thing, it's a lifetime thing. And so often it's like, oh, I worked my step. I've got to work that thing a hundred times sometimes, and it's not even noon yet. <laughs> you know, I got out of bed, and within a minute, I'm ready to choke somebody. I'm like, come on, Jesus. Come on, sweet baby Jesus. Give me the strength. You know, and it's like, just because we're saved, or just because we call ourselves a Christian, doesn't mean that my will just instantly belongs to him, because I, I take that thing on a, back on a regular basis, because I know what's best for me. Uh, yeah, no. I, I've proven to myself a million times that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. That if I don't surrender my will, that I can too destroy my life once again. You know, and I've watched people take their will back and, and, and they think they're off to do something good. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I do things my way, it gets bad. You know, and it's so important that we rededicate on a regular basis. You know, but... This is what they did. They did the, the sacrifices. They built the temple. And they're waiting for the presence of God to show up. And it didn't really show up. You know, and a lot of the older generations that were around back when the other temple was there. And, and remember the presence of God being there. And remember when David was, was running the show the right way. They're distraught. They've been waiting for this day to come. And it didn't happen the way they anticipated it to happen. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times and I'm thinking that God's going to move in a certain way and it doesn't happen the way that I think it's going to happen. You know, and we have to realize that he doesn't, always, he doesn't work inside our box. You know, and there's a lot of times that we're trying to pursue good things, but it's not God. You know, and we try to make it sound like God, but it's still not God. You know, and opposition begins to come into this place. You know, this is the first time that they had opposition as they got back into Jerusalem. And, you know, and it started to really stir some stuff up. Because here's the Israelites that have been exiled into Babylon. They would be considered a remnant. You know, God preserved, you know, his law, his Torah. You know, he preserved worship. So as they're coming back into Jerusalem, they're trying to reestablish those things. And here comes the Israelites out of the woodwork that didn't get exiled, but they've been staying in the land, but they've been intermixing with the tribes that were still there, like the Canaanites. You know, and Zerubbabel, you know, gets upset, you know, and he, you know, basically says, no, you know, you can't mix with them because they have allowed the wrong things in. They've allowed the wrong types of worship in. They come with the right name. You know, but they're not worshiping God the way we're supposed to be worshiping God. You know, and it's important that that we test fruit, that we we look for character. You know, especially in recovery. You know, through the years, I, I've seen a lot of people that know the Big Book, but I've seen a small amount of people live it to the best of their ability. You know, I've seen lots of people bash people with it and say you need to do this or you need to do that, but I've seen. Men and women alike represent recovery to the best of their ability and honor that recovery and, and represent 
you know, God in their way, you know, and it showed me that there is a purity in recovery, you know, and, you know, I share it all the time that, you know, my last sponsor was an atheist, but he knew recovery. He knew steps. He knew how to, you know, carry himself in such a way. And, and he had something I wanted as far as the understanding and the knowledge of recovery. You know, but when it came time to have questions about God, he's not the guy that I'm talking to. Now, I don't suggest this. However, this is what I had to, to work with back then. You know, my questions about Jesus went to Pastor Rick and, and various pastors in the church and, and various people that have been saved for a long time. And I would, you know, read some of the Bible. And I'm like, what does this mean? I don't agree with that. And we'd have many different conversations along the way. But what I learned is that I always hang out with the wrong crowd. Just because they're in church or just because they're, you know, in recovery, I always seem to drift to the ones that are on the outskirts and they're about to cause some trouble. And I'm ready because that's how I've been living my whole entire life. And when I finally got fed up with living that way, I started to get plugged in with the people that don't play no games anymore. And I started to take as many suggestions as possible because I knew that my will brings destruction into my life. You know, and, you know, people would give me suggestions and I would take them. And I said, okay. And someone said, hey, you should do it this way. And I'd say, okay, you shouldn't do that. And I would say, okay. Because I finally got to the place where I was tired of intermixing with people that were going the wrong direction. You know, and, um, you know, it's crazy, you know, that, there's people that we can meet in the church that are bad for us. You know, there's people that we can meet, you know, in recovery that have the wrong intentions. You know, and as we pray and as we plug into the people that, you know, we feel God is really showing us. And we need to use two things. We need to use that old street smarts. And we need to use this new discernment that we have from the Holy Spirit that's saying, you know, I need to back up for a second. You know, and I've learned through the years... But a lot of times I just need to sit still and just watch and things take care of themselves and God takes care of me. You know, and, and the people that are negative kind of drift away. And I talk about Jesus a lot. So that, that keeps me out of a lot of trouble. You know, and, you know, back in the day, you know, I went back to MV. You know, I told everyone that I was an alcoholic and addict and I told everybody that I had Jesus. And it seemed like not very many people wanted to talk to me. <laughs> you know, I never got invited to a party. I never got hit on. I never got asked to do things that I shouldn't be doing because I talked about Jesus and the fact that I was an alcoholic and addict every single day. Everybody knew it. Like, I had nothing to hide. I wouldn't care if I was drinking and smoking crack if they knew it. So why do I care when I'm sober that they know it? You know, and I began to represent myself in such a way. And I tell anybody that's going back to school, instantaneously tell everybody you're an alcoholic and addict and you love Jesus. Why? Because... Most of the people will leave you alone because they don't want to hear that stuff. You know, and if you bring Jesus into every equation, all of a sudden you'll have a lot of people that don't really like to talk to you because they don't want to hear about Jesus. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm supposed to evangelize. Like, no, you're supposed to preserve yourself first. That we minister out of our overflow. You know, and if I'm new to this game or I'm still trying to get on my feet, you're not trying to save nobody because it's really not your job anyway. You know, it's his. And we need to realize that 
if I talk about Jesus a lot, it's going to gravitate the right people to me that actually want to hear about Jesus. And I'm not trying to chase anybody down and beat them in the head with the Bible and try to get them saved. Now, it doesn't mean you don't pray for the people that you think need some Jesus. You know, because we all need some Jesus. You know, and <laughs> Sean got a shirt that says, you need Jesus. <laughs> Which I think is amazing. Because the things that we used to wear were not appropriate back in the day. But... We can't talk about those things anymore. So <laughs> we got rid of those types of shirts, and we wear new shirts that represent a new way to live. Why? Because we're decorating our temples in new ways. But anyway, um, after this little, you know, hiccup took place, you know, um, there was a little, you know, span of like sixty years, you know, that God's. You know, temple didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit the way they thought it was going to move. There was a lot of discouragement. And, you know, some of them went back to Babylon because they didn't know how to survive without God. I don't know how anybody survives without God. I honestly do not know how I stayed alive all those years being an atheist, hating on some Jesus. But God preserved me. He knew what was going to take place after the fact. You know, but here is Ezra. You know, and, and, you know, Xerxes, who was also the Babylon king, he's like, all right, I'm going to pay for you guys to head back. Like, there is so much favor on them to go back and establish and rebuild Jerusalem that not just one, but two Babylonian kings foot the bill for them to go back and try to build this, this place up. You know, so Ezra was, you know, a teacher. You know, he was a Torah scholar. Torah is the... You know, the, the first five books of the Bible, you know, as a Christian, we would call it the Pentateuch. It's the books that Moses wrote, that most of those people had that stuff memorized by the time they were teenagers, you know, that they knew their word. And I would say that it's very important that we get in this book and read it to the best of our ability and study it and spend time in it and get to know it. And I know you hate it, but it's the thing that sets us free. You know, we need to know our word because we need to know God. How do we have a relationship with someone that we do not know? We don't. We have a belief system. Like someday I have a belief system that I'm going to have a wife, but I have never met her. So how do I have a relationship with somebody that I do not know? I cannot. I believe that one day I will get married. Like many of us in here believe that one day we will get married. But we can't have a relationship with somebody that isn't here. This book makes Jesus show up tangibly every day as much as we want to spend time with him. You know, and it's important that the more we spend time with him, the stronger that relationship goes. And the more that we get to know him, the easier it is to turn our will over to him because we know that he loves us and we know exactly what he's asking of us and what he's not asking of us. So it's important that we get on our word. So here's Ezra. He's a word scholar. He's like, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to get this party started. You know? And he goes back because he has this idea that we need this spiritual and social revival. You know, and we hear about revival a lot in the church. You know, and what revival is to me is that dead comes alive. You know, and a lot of times we need that to happen in the church. But when a revival is really moving powerfully is when people that don't know Jesus begin to know Jesus and get filled with the Holy Spirit and do a lot of crazy things for God. And I don't know about you, but just the fact that we're sitting here on a Friday night 
is kind of like a mini revival in my mind. Yeah, that there's warriors that we've been serving the wrong God for a long time, doing a lot of things that we've been foot soldiers in the army of the enemy for too many years. And now here we are, saved, listening to some tattooed ball guy talk about Jesus on a Friday night. That's some revival, if you ask me. And we need some social change, too. That I don't know how to live my life. And I need to spend some time with people that have some things that I want and learn how to change. Because I can't do it on my own. Even though my ego and my pride says, I got this. Every time I say that, where do I end up? Right in my face. You know, I need to learn how to follow Jesus. And I've learned how to follow Jesus by watching other men and women of God that have followed Jesus. And I, I grab a hold of them and I don't let go to the best of my ability. You know, and each one of us needs this. But, you know, as we, you know, go through this book, here's the same problem. You know, Ezra begins to run into the fact that those that are coming back out of Babylon, even though they're coming out of the world, they're considered a remnant and they have this relationship with Yahweh, are running back into people that have this mixture in their life. They're seeing Israelites that are now married to Canaanites. You know, and Canaanites worship the sex god, and some of them would you know, sacrifice their children to make their crops grow. Like, and God's like, eh, they're bad, they're bad people. You should probably get away from them. You know, and how often do we turn to things when God's not moving the way we think he's going to move and we find other things to satisfy us. You know, are we burning children? No, we're not. Are we eating Chinese food at midnight? Guilty. Are we looking at porn? Guilty. Are we stealing stuff? Guilty. Are we turning to relationships? Guilty. Do we turn to drugs and alcohol? Guilty. You know, have we thought that money was going to save me? Guilty. You know, how many times in my life have I turned to the wrong thing thinking that that's going to save me in my situation? Guilty. You know, but Jesus is the only thing that can meet me in this moment. You know, and it's so important that we get ourselves away from the things that, you know, that used to tear us down. And we hear about it, the people, places, and things. You know, it's biblical. That I can't be, you know, running with the same crowd that I used to run with and expect that things are going to change. Now, I do come with a different, you know, viewpoint of this. That not everybody that we used to run with is a complete scumbag. Some of those people are my heart. They're some of my closest friends are closer to me than my family's ever been. But I can't do what they're doing and I need to distance myself from them. Why? Because if I get around them, I have the opportunity and the chance and the probability that I'm going to fall into things that I'm trying to get away from. You know, and I will say this from a, a, a different perspective that I had seven years sober and saved and he started to bring back real friends that actually still party back into my life. And they are so amazed at what Jesus has done in my life that they'll be the first one to knock somebody out if somebody's trying to get me hot. Even though that they still do it. Because they see what God has done in my life. And each one of them has taken a step towards Jesus. Are they saved yet? No. But we have all these crazy conversations about Jesus because they see the change. See, so often we're not changed yet and we're trying to drag somebody along with us. Like, you need this too. But we're not even completely convinced that we're ready for it. 
But if you come with me, then I'll feel safe. Like, I need Jesus to make me feel safe. I need God to come in and transform me so that one day they begin to see that I'm a different person. And then they want to take a step and try to figure out this Jesus. Because nobody wants religion. And everybody, when we first get saved, thinks that we're brainwashed and we got religion. Everybody thinks we've lost our minds. But when they see the fruit of a changed life, they begin to go like, I need some of that too. And how often people reach out to me in times when they're in crisis. They're like, you, you, you send some good vibes my way? I'm like, no, but I'll pray for you. Like, okay, whatever that means, that's cool. And they don't even believe in God. But I pray something happens and they're like, thanks for doing that. And they took a step towards Jesus. You know, so it's so important that we get mixture out of our lives and we begin to get closer to Jesus and closer to people that are doing recovery the right way and stop trying to fix people or save people because I need some saving. I need some fixing. And until my feet are planted firmly on solid ground that I know that I know that I know that I have no desire to do those things, nor would anybody be able to tempt me to do those things, not that I'm perfect and not that I have it all figured out and not that I might fail if I don't pursue Jesus as crazy as I am, because I can fall back into that stuff too, but I have a daily reprieve due to my spiritual conditioning. As long as I keep putting stuff in that spiritual bank account every day, the likelihood that I have any chance of going back is real low. But the second I stop praying and I stop reading and stop serving and stop helping, I'm getting one step closer back to the man that I used to be. So it's so important that we get mixture out of our lives and pursue Jesus to the best of our ability. You know, and he sees all this mixture and Ezra gets like this, this righteousness rises up in him and he prays this crazy prayer of repentance and he's asking God to forgive them and to move. And repentance is a key, key, key thing that we need to do in our lives. Repentance isn't a one-time thing, God, forgive me of my sins, I'm good to go, let's do this. Now I can do whatever I want. If that's our understanding of Jesus, one, we need to get into our Bible and we need to have a conversation with somebody that's a little bit further down the road than us. Because then that means that I can continue to sin in any which way that I want and it's okay because the blood of Jesus has set me free. Well, if I'm still set doing the things that I used to do, am I really set free? No, no I'm not. You know, and I have to, to come before Jesus on a regular basis because I don't know about you, but I did not wake up today Jesus. I did not wake up today perfect. I did not wake up today without sin. I did not wake up today every single thought that I thought today is absolutely holy. I don't know about you. I haven't reached that sort of righteousness yet. Everything that came out of my mouth today was not good. <laughs> I need Jesus. And I talk to Jesus on a regular basis. He's like, I am such a wretch. And they're like, Tom, you're doing great. You're an awesome man of God. I'm like, you have no idea how bad my brain is. I need Jesus. How do I renew my mind? This book tells me that if I read this thing on a regular basis, it renews my mind. It's so important that we get it right side up. But it's so important <laughs> that we read this. That we don't just own it. I would care to say everybody in this room owns one of these. But I will also say not everyone's reading this. Why? Because we don't. 
And you know what? It's okay. If you haven't read it in a while, say, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to read a page a day. I'm going to open up the Gospel of John and I'm going to read a page a day. Just one page. Maybe a chapter. Just read a little bit. How many times have we spent so much time going in the wrong direction? How many times have we spent hours in front of the TV, Netflix and it? How many times have we spent hours doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing? The least we can do is read a page a day. The least we can do is spend a little time trying to figure out Jesus if we say we love him as much as we do. You know, and, you know, I, I don't read it every day. You know, life happens. But I have scheduled out time in my life that my Bible is the first thing that I do in the morning after coffee. And let the dog out. But, as my Bible says, he brews. So coffee's okay. <laughs> we, need, we need this thing in our lives in a, in, a, in a way that we don't even realize right now. I need more Bible in my life. I will never say that I have this thing figured out. Ever. You know, I hear people all the time, well, I read the Bible. I'm like, really? But did the Bible read you? This isn't a club, as so many people try to use it as one. This is a mirror. That when I open this page, Jesus is looking back at me. And until the day that I see myself as Jesus, and I, I stare back at myself, and I say, you know what, I got this thing completely figured out. I'm not done reading this thing. You know, and, and there's different ways to read it. You know, I encourage you to get a Bible plan. I encourage you to read through a book at a time. I encourage you to hop around. I encourage you to just flip it open and just read whatever. But I encourage you to read it every day. You know, I encourage you to talk to somebody that has read it more than you and ask questions. Why? Because we need to learn what this thing is actually talking about. You know, I hand out study Bibles. Why? Because most of the answers are at the bottom of the page and it makes it easy to keep reading because you read a lot of stuff that you don't understand. You know, if I read stuff I don't understand, I don't want to keep reading it because I don't know what's going on. You know, many of us are not from Utica. How many of us are not from Utica? <laughs> most, of the, most of the room. When we first got here, did we know where anything was? No. But as we begin to learn this tiny little town that we begin to be able to get around. Why? Because we studied it and we learned it. The more we study and learn this, we begin to learn how to get around our own life in a positive way. That our character begins to change. Our brain begins to change. Our life begins to change. This book is not a book. It's a supernatural voice of God that we can each have in our lives on a regular basis. You can have as much as you want. You know... But I also would say that if you're trying to read nine hours in the day to try to devour the whole thing, it's too much. That you need to spend some time studying what you're reading and slow down sometimes. There's times that I'm reading fast and there's times that I'm just, I've, I've read like a page a day and I'm just trying to figure out what that page is telling me because I'm reading it and I'm like, this is really convicting me and I'm not 100% why. Or I'm reading it and tears start flowing down my face. I'm reading it and I'm like, Wow, you're really sarcastic. I'm really digging this story right now. You know, there's all sorts of awesome stories in it. You know, so it's important that we're getting into our word and learning how to change. You know, but, you know, the religious leaders were pushing for the wrong people to get separated because they had this idea. So we see this 
this religion, even in the Old Testament, that even happens today. You know, and it's so important that we build the spiritual relationship with the Lord and that we learn how much He loves us because when He loves us, we want to change. You know, we're not just forced into the rules because. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do. None of us in here do rules real well. <laughs> I would say none of us do rules real well. That until Jesus really begins to change our heart, we've never been able to stop doing some of those things that we've been trying to stop doing or people have been trying to stop us from doing for many, many years. You know, that until Jesus showed up, I didn't stop stealing. Until Jesus showed up, I didn't stop sleeping around. Until Jesus showed up, I didn't stop using drugs and alcohol. Until Jesus showed up, I didn't stop... Fill in the blank. We all have that story. We got many of those stories. But what else needs to be part of that list? Jesus needs to show up so I can stop doing this. Jesus needs to show up so I can put this down. Jesus shows up so I can start doing this. We all need more Jesus. There's not one of us in this room that has it all figured out, especially me. So I just really encourage you to get in your word and, and, and find Jesus in there and say, I need you more than I could ever know so that my life can change. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you that you're relevant in every single book of the Bible. You're in there. You're in there talking to us. You're in there showing us who you really are. You're in there showing us areas of our character that need to change. Lord, I pray that each one of us gets hungry for our word. Each one of us gets hungry for worship in your presence, Lord. Each one of us goes after you as crazy as we've gone after sin. So Lord, I just pray that you move powerfully bringing healing into our lives, breaking off addictions in all of its forms, Lord, and helping us to worship you and know that you love us and that we learn to love you back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, many, many, many.